The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy, presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Here's your host, Rick Saratella. Welcome to the GM Junior Show with Russell Landy. I am your host, Rick Saratella. We are presented by the Sports Management Worldwide, and this is our first episode of the 2019 NFL Draft Cycle. Come on in, everybody. Bring a friend, tell a friend, pull up a chair, because we have the expertise of Russ Landy, his 20 years of scouting experience working in the NFL, CFL, XFL, And we're going to get a chance to pick his brain leading up to Nashville. Today, we're going to preview the quarterbacks. It is Tuesday, March the 12th. We are now 44 days away from that 2019 NFL draft, my 18th season, covering the draft. So between Russ and myself, you're going to get a chance to uh, peek behind the doors, get a little inside look into the scouting world and discuss some of the things that we look for as we break down each position. With that being said, we want to remind everybody we all are brought to you by the Sports Management Worldwide folks and check them out over at sportsmanagementworldwide.com. They have a slew of eight-week online courses, one of them being the football GM and scouting course with Russ Landy. So if you like what we do, You'll love what they do over at the Sports Management Worldwide. And now it's time to welcome in the star of the show. He is none other than Russ Landy. And uh, Russ, welcome in. It feels like this is a long time coming for this show. No doubt, Rick. Uh, it's great to be on. And I, I would say there's two stars. If I'm the star, then you're the co-star. Because uh, I think we're both uh, rocking from the same place. Uh, no doubt about it. And, you know, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to link up with you out in Indianapolis the last couple of years. And uh, I love how the podcast came together. It just kind of happened. And sometimes that's the best chemistry. So with that being said, Russ, uh, today we're going to evaluate some quarterbacks before we get into it. You know, we just recently had the NFL scouting combine. You've been in NFL war rooms. A lot of people said Kyler Murray was a winner. He didn't even perform. How do you view the scouting combine? How does the NFL approach the scouting combine? And how much impact does it affect the draft boards? You know, I, I, first off, I'll say that the most important part of the combine is the stuff people don't see. It's the medical. That's, that's the reason the combine originally came to be, is to save costs for teams years ago to have all the physicals done in one spot. Then you add in the interviews. And although there are only 15 minutes for the formal ones, it's still important to get those 15 minutes, 60 of them. You get a lot of those guys an initial look, and you do get a bunch of informals. So that part is huge. Um, the stuff on the field, the, the, it's not, you don't want to change your board based on what you see there. But I will say, I think over the past 10 years, as analytics has grown, the ability to use a number of the measurables to sort of compare to historical numbers and see which ones are outside the range or which groups of scores, like the Spark scores, can really help you in finding sort of overlooked players or maybe identifying problems with highly regarded players. There is some value in numbers. It shouldn't be completely disregarded, like some would say. Um, and then the positional drills, those are really valuable to watch guys side by side. Because then you can see two or three linebackers that your organization may have rated closely. You can watch them all work out within a 30-minute span doing the same drills. 
So at least you can get a feel for their true just moving around athleticism. Not equivalent to what's in a game, but at least it gives you a comparative base. So there's a lot of value, but I will say the smart teams use it for what it is, a piece of the puzzle. They don't make it at 80%, but they don't make it zero. The teams that are poorly run make it dramatically more than a small piece of the puzzle. They make it huge to where they may move guys dramatically up and down on their board based on 40 times and things like that. And that's where I think you see some of the poorly run teams really hurt themselves years after year, year after year in the draft. Very interesting stuff. Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here, breaking it down for you. And, you know, Russ, uh, I love the apples to apples, orange to orange comparison. The one thing I noticed is the, the alpha male, you know, cream always rises to the top. Who's going to be that alpha male? And I, I thought last year, it was Baker Mayfield two years ago. It was Carson Wentz three years ago. Um, I'm not sure someone really stood out like that this year. It's not always going to happen, but I do like the apples-to-apples apples comparison in Indianapolis. I hope the NFL Combine stays there for a very, very long time. That's a topic for a whole other show. The other thing I w- I'm curious to hear your perspective on, Russ, is you know after the Combine, you had uh, analysts such as Charlie Casserly, who's also been – a GM in the NFL, uh, he, he comes out and criticizes Kyler Murray. Uh, you've got Gil Brandt chiming in in terms of what exactly happened behind those closed-door door meetings that you said uh, are, are valued. Um, in terms of being in an NFL war room and, and, and you know, NFL Network now televises around-the-clock coverage, do you pay attention to any of that outside noise, or is it just that static? Well, I think what it is, you generally don't pay attention to any of it. The rule of thumb, at least among smart teams, is we pay our scouts and our executives for a reason, so we're not going to worry about what people outside our building say. But I will tell you, there is no doubt that if you as an organization have a very high grade on Kyler Murray, and all of a sudden you hear Charlie Castle say these things, you would be foolish as an organization if you at least didn't text your scout who covers that school and say, hey, you know the kid better than anybody. You've been in the school. Is any of what just came out legitimate? And that's just double-checking. It's not to say you're taking Charlie's word. You never want to take anybody's word from outside your building. That's just foolish. But any, anybody in any business who says there's harm in double-checking is lying to your face. Because I can tell you as, uh, when I was at the Rams, when I was at the Browns, and even with the Alouettes, when a rumor came up, it doesn't mean you're going to take it and say, oh, we're going to run with this, and this is the truth, but it does mean you're going to pick up the phone and call somebody you would know and say, hey, we're hearing this information. This is contrary to everything we've heard. Give us the real scoop. And because NFL teams have scouts who go to every school in the country, they can find that stuff out pretty quickly. So the long and short of it is you don't change your opinion based on it, but you sure as heck better double-check with the scout that covers that school to make sure none of what's coming out is legitimate. All right, Ross Land, Rick Saratella here. <clears throat> Excuse me, the GM Junior Show presented by Sports Management Worldwide, and we're going to break down the 2019 NFL QB class in just a minute. But, you know, Russ, we're now entering that third stage or the third phase of the, the draft process. Of course, you know, it really begins with the bowl games, but you have the all-star circuit, then the combine, and now the pro days. Tomorrow, we mentioned that man again, Kyler Murray, did not work out at the Combine, probably the most anticipated pro day workout of the year. 
Uh, Oklahoma has already credentialed 110 media folks for this event. Uh, I've never heard of such a thing. I think Baker Mayfield had 80 media members a couple years ago. I can't even imagine how many teams are going to be there. With that being said, Russ, I'm going to ask you kind of the same question about the combine. How much stock are you going to put into this t-shirt and gym shorts uh, workout? You know, I don't put a lot of stock into the throwing part of it because if you as an organization based on your scout going to the school and seeing the guy play live, don't have a pretty good feel for arm strength and quick release, you're probably not a very thorough and organized organization. But there are things to be gleaned from it. How does the young man act throughout the day? Does he show leadership? Do his teammates rally around him? I've been to pro days where quarterbacks are throwing, where the teammates were almost nonchalant, didn't even care that their quarterback, the guy, the star of their team, was the guy that everybody was looking at, and they didn't really pay attention to him. And I've been to other ones where you could tell that that quarterback was beloved by his teammates and that they would do anything they could to make him look good that day. So things like that you want to find out. It gives you an impression of how he's thought of by his teammates. How does he vocally take command? Is he a leader throughout the workout? Those types of things are some of the things you want to see. Additionally, teams are going to meet with him. Someone's going to probably have dinner with him tonight. Someone after tomorrow's workout, there may be one or two or three teams that are going to take him out and sit with him for an hour or two. Those things are important. You get as much information about the young man as you can. So there is value in the pro day. But I will say the actual throwing part, to me, it's vastly overrated because if a quarterback can't even go out and have a decent showing throwing to his own receivers on his own practice field at his own school, then you're probably talking about a bad quarterback because it's not that hard to throw against air to receivers you've thrown to your whole career in a very normal environment because you've been in that school for at least two or three years, if not five or six, in case some of these guys that have been redshirted and injured a lot. Good points. And, you know, I'll even add this to the equation. I mean, nowadays, it's every quarterback preparing for the draft has a personalized QB coach and you know, they, they pretty much practice and rehearse this pro day. It's all scripted, and, and they're rehearsing it for weeks. So, I mean, they should look good. But I think to your point, um, you know, people talk about the it factor or the intangibles. What exactly does that mean? And I think some of what you said, the, the leadership, the, the it factor, would, do, do the teammates gravitate towards him? In the NFL, you have to be a, a leader of men. You have to have uh, command and presence in the huddle and, you know, if you don't see that, I mean, that's a little bit concerning. And if, if a wide receiver doesn't care, like you mentioned, you have to question whether or not uh, this guy was a team leader. Was he a loner? Uh, that's one of the criticisms you hear of a Josh Rosen now uh, coming out. So uh, one of the things comparing uh, Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray, some of the Oklahoma players we spoke to, uh, Baker was much more vocal. Kyler was much more to himself. So uh, we'll see how much teams weigh those factors and, and put it into the equation. And uh, we're having a great dialogue here so far with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella here on the GM Junior Show. Of course, Russ, 20-plus years of scouting experience, NFL, CFL, XFL. But today is all about the quarterback. Everybody loves quarterbacks, Russ. And, you know, we've been uh, keeping tabs for about 315 days or so, uh, 44 days away now to the NFL draft. But, it seems like there's this consensus top four, and I'm not sure they all go in the first round, but they're all being mixed and talked about it, and that would be Dwayne Haskins, Tyler Murray, Drew Locke, and Daniel Jones. 
take them how you want them. Uh, are they the consensus top four, or do you think there's other quarterbacks that should be in the equation here? Well, <clears throat> I think it's the consensus top four in terms of those will be, according to everybody I've spoken to, the first four quarterbacks drafted. Does that mean that I rank them that way? No. But does that mean that that is the consensus? That's what NFL teams are, are thinking, and that's how it's going to play out on draft day? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be stunned if Haskins and Murray are not the top two. And whether Jones or Locke end up being first or top of the second round, I don't know. But I do think those will be the next two guys off the board, primarily because of what Jones and Locke could be if they develop. It's not where they are now, but we both saw them down at senior ball time, live arms, athletic kids, high character, big strapping kids. I mean, they're pretty much all the things you look for except for consistency on the field. But I do think those are the four guys that every NFL team is trying to figure out which is the guy of that group they really like. Well, let's talk about these guys a little bit, one at a time. And, you know, I'll start off with Daniel Jones from Duke. And, you know, I just recently had a chance to speak with Ron Jaworski over at the Maxwell Club Awards and shout out to uh, a magnificent event there at the Tropicana down in Atlantic City. You know, I picked his brain a little bit. And the one thing about Daniel Jones, uh, and he, you know, I think it's very well known, but uh, Coach Cutcliffe, I mean, we all know his history going back with the Mannings. And, you know, when I watched Daniel Jones throw at the Combine, Russ, he was the only quarterback there that was actually mimicking, you know, looking off the safety and uh, acting as if he was going through his progressions, even though he was thrown against air. And then you watch him on film and he's got this kind of Eli Manning-esque shoulder shimmy and this, the, the, the fakes and the fundamentals. Um, you know, my concern is the lack of arm velocity. Jaws said, you know, he probably has a little bit of an edge compared to these other quarterbacks in terms of his preparation due to Coach Cutcliffe, how much does coaching outweigh the arm talent? You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think when you look at Jones, I think firstly coaching is huge because just watching him, there's no doubt there are similarities to both Eli and even Peyton. The, the way he moves his feet, the way the ball comes out, you can tell he's been coaching some, some of the intricate points. Um, down there by a very schooled, very knowledgeable coach. But I think in the end, it, there's only so much in terms of coaching that's going to get you to the pro level. Once you get in the pros, coaching can make a big difference, as we see in L.A. with Jared Goff from year one to year two. Coaching can make, can make a tremendous difference. But in terms of talent, I mean, I don't think the arm strength, in my opinion, is the biggest issue. I think when I look at this kid, I just don't see consistency throughout his game. I see a kid who will go a quarter, maybe two quarters, playing at a very high level, making very good decisions, putting the ball in the right spot. And then I'll see him go a quarter, two, or even a whole game where he's just inconsistent, misses the read, doesn't react well to pressure in his face, overthrows, underthrows. He's a guy that, to me, I was so excited to evaluate because the physical tools, within a quarter, you can tell the physical tools are all there. But the consistency and production of consistency or consistency of production is not there game in and game out. And that's one of the things that bothers me. There were games he looked like an elite guy that you get excited about being a starter in the NFL. There are other games I look at him and say, God, is this guy even going to be on an NFL roster in two to three years? So that's my big concern for him. There's no doubt physically, in my opinion, that he has all the physical tools of an NFL starter. 
It's just whether he can convert them and become a starter in the NFL, which I doubt. Hmm. All right, there you have it. Russ Land's take on Daniel Jones. It sounds like we're not investing a first-round pick in, in, in your war room, Russ, there on uh, Daniel Jones. And I will say, you know, the one other thing that bothers me is this guy was on the opposite end of some blowout losses. And you hate to see that, you know, maybe once or twice. But, I mean, there's several games throughout his career where Duke is just getting hammered. And you like to see, you know, even Jay Cutler, when he was in Vanderbilt, even though they weren't a great team, at least he kept them in the ball games and kept them competitive. Now, uh, let's transition to Drew Locke because, you know, people love the arm strength here. Uh, you can argue, you know, maybe, you know, him and the Buffalo kid have the strongest arm in this year's draft. And I'll play devil's advocate. You know, what, what, what I don't like, and, and usually I like to dwell on what players do well, but the one thing that does bother me is the back foot throws, the, the throws across the body, the opposite hash throws across the field. It seems like it's just part of the deal with Drew Locke, and I'm not quite sure he's Brett Favre or Patrick Mahomes, and I'm not quite sure you're going to coach him out of these bad habits either. So with that being said, Russ, what's the prospectus on a Drew Locke? Well, firstly, I agree with a lot of what you say. I mean, I, I think when you look at pure physical talent, and he showed it down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, I mean, his ability, the ball, he can get it out fast. He's got a ridiculous arm to make every throw you could ever dream of. He can make the deep touch throw. He can make the rip 22-yard out. I mean, he can make all the throws. The issue, like you, you mentioned there, throwing off the back foot, things like that, is I don't see consistency. I don't see a comfort level with this kid in the pocket on a regular basis. At times, he's great when he just catches and throws. And I think he's at his best when he really can't sit and think. The issues, I think, come with him when he's sitting in that pocket beyond that initial read, and he has to sit and go through his progressions. The pocket starts to either get squeezed or pushed, and he has to move his feet. He has to readjust. That's where I don't think he's as productive. And and similar to Jones in that I think the physical tools are 100% there for him to succeed. Um, the concern I have is that within the pocket, when that first read isn't there, how is he going to do going through his progressions as the pocket is not clean? I think that's going to be a long-standing issue for him. Is he a guy in that third round, fourth round area I'd love to take a shot on and try to develop him if I had a coach that was really an expert at working with footwork and building a guy's patience up? Yeah, I'd love to get him, but he is not a finished product by any means, and I think he's a guy that's going to need time if he's ever going to become an NFL starter. Well, I, I agree wholeheartedly there, and I believe, you know, the longer that Drew Locke sits behind somebody, I think the better off for his long-term potential in terms of evolving into a starting NFL quarterback. But we all know, hey, Quarterbacks are going to get pushed up the board. There's a lot of desperate teams out there. Go look at that Nick Foles contract, $88 million over four years. Uh, that's a whole heck of a lot of money to pay a quarterback. So teams are going to be willing to take the risk on a first round, pull the trigger. Um, so Drew Locke, you know, there's his perspective. Now, the big two. Uh, let's take them one at a time again here, Russ. Kyler Murray, we've talked about it. Uh, comes in at five foot ten. Bulks up about a dozen pounds. He's up in that 203, 207 range trying to squash some of those uh, whispers and concerns about his durability. Can he hold up uh, against that NFL, you know, 16-game 
plus playoff schedule. Um, you know, my take here is that I think that Kyler Murray can succeed. However, I think it, you know, it has to be an offense catered around his skill set. So you basically have to construct an entire offense around what Kyler Murray does well. And if you do that, I think you can succeed. And back to your point, you know, it, it all goes back to coaching and, and, and what kind of scheme this guy uh, winds up getting selected into. There's no doubt about it. He's got the, the arm strength. And, he, you know, you can argue probably that he ran that Oklahoma offense just as well or even more efficiently than a Baker Mayfield. But, you know, again, a couple inches shorter and some questions about, you know, the durability. Can it work at the next level? Your thoughts? You know, when I first started watching Murray, when I went into the process, I expected to not like him because generally super athletic guys tend to disappoint when you actually put the film on. But I will say he impressed me. The ball comes out real fast. Um, he, do, he doesn't sit there and wait forever. He's got a real live arm. He can make every throw. He's got a beautiful touch on deep balls. I mean, there's a lot to really like about Murray. I think my biggest concern when I look at him as a quarterback I mean, obviously, everybody wants to point to the size, and that's a whole other thing. Whether he can become the second quarterback ever under six feet to succeed, that's one thing. But what I want to look at when I watch this kid is, yeah, he's beautiful on his deep accuracy, and he's got a live arm, but his footwork is inconsistent. When he does everything right and he puts his foot pointed in the right direction, he can make great throws. But a lot of time he thro throws with both feet almost on the same yard line, just tries to torque the upper body without pointing towards the receiver, and when he does that, his accuracy is all over the place. And I don't see him doing a lot of just catch and throw on those quick slants and catch and throw on those quick outs in terms of just catch, boom, back foot in, ball out. I want to see more of that. I want to see, can this guy be a timing quarterback? I see a lot of stuff where he sees the guy open, makes the beautiful rip throw. He's the only quarterback I'd consider this year in the first round. And with that being said, I'd still be very leery just because of the history of short quarterbacks, people can say whatever they want about Russell Wilson, but you're talking about a kid that's basically a one-year starter at Oklahoma, a one-year starter at A&M. This is a kid that is short. He has not run all the stuff that NFL teams look for. And when you chart out his accuracy, he comes out as an average quarterback in terms of college accuracy. When I chart out his weighted accuracy, he's the only one I consider in the first round. But if I were in the top 10, I'd be very leery of risking a top 10 pick on this kid. I like a lot of things about him, but he makes me very nervous. Well, a lot of buzz out of the <clears throat> combine in Indianapolis that the Arizona Cardinals are going to pull the trigger number one overall. Uh, an interesting thing I've heard through my sources is that, you know, if he doesn't go number one overall, I'm hearing that the Oakland Raiders at number four, have a lot of interest in a Kyler Murray. So that would be an interesting dynamic with Antonio Brown, obviously. Now, uh, Russ, you said Kyler Murray is the only quarterback that you would take in the first round, which means you do not have a first-round grade on Dwayne Haskins. And, boy, you know, you talk about the limited body of work of a Murray. Uh, Haskins is even less body of work to uh, analyze. And we've, we've come a long ways from the, uh, the Bill Parcells QB criteria when selecting a quarterback and uh, a one-year wonder, some might call him, but uh, nevertheless, Dwayne Haskins definitely did some things that do appeal to NFL teams. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think when you look at just the pure physical side, I mean, he's a big strapping kid. He's got a, 
ridiculously quick release for a big guy. He's got a live arm. He can make every throw with ease. Um, although, and I think a lot of people sort of, when you watch this kid who's so athletic, you sort of think, oh, he's a great, he's going to be a great athlete who can make big plays with his feet. That's never going to happen. But he is athletic enough to escape the pocket, make throws on the move. A lot of the physical stuff is there. But the accuracy is a concern. He's a little below average in terms of collegiate accuracy, in terms of the eight games I charted him playing. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to he's very upright when he throws. He stands almost straight and almost leaning back as he lets the ball go, which is never a good thing. When he rides into his throw in terms of upper body following through, so much more accurate, so much more consistent. That's the quarterback. When I see him stride into or follow through on his throws – that's the quarterback that looks like a first-rounder. The rest of the time, I get very leery, and that's the stuff that it's hard to coach into a guy to see it consistently in the NFL. And then you mentioned a one-year starter. People can say all they want about whether it's true or not, but if you look in the NFL in the past 20 years, find me one guy, because NFL teams don't consider Cam Newton a one-year starter because he started for a JC and led them to a national championship. There's no other quarterback that teams are really saying this guy is a proven starter. You have Mark Sanchez. You have Mitch Trubisky at this point. The one-year starter thing does matter. Um, it shows how a kid does the second year when teams adjust to what he does well. I like Haskins. I think he's an elite physical talent in terms of throwing the ball. I think there are very few quarterbacks that come out with his natural throwing ability. But I would not take him in the first round. I think there are too many things that point to him failing in the NFL to warrant using a first-round pick on that guy. Great perspective there. Uh, you know, I never really analyzed the the one-year wonder that much, and you're right. I, I can't think of a quarterback who just started one year in college, went on to the NFL, and had a successful career. So, again, you know, with Haskins and Murray, I think these are going to be two great case studies. And, you know, even talking to Gruden at the Senior Bowl where he was coaching, he said, you know, he used to have all this criteria for quarterbacks. You know, they had to check off all these boxes and meet certain marks. And he said, you know, 2019, all criteria out the window, evaluating college <laughs> quarterbacks. It's a whole nature of a different nature of the beast. And, you know, it was difficult to begin uh, to begin with evaluating, evaluating quarterbacks. And now with these air raid systems and, and spread offenses, uh, no huddle. I mean, I think there's just, that many variables to make it even tougher to evaluate the quarterbacks. And, you know, you're tuned into the GM junior show with Russell Landy, Rick Saratella presented by the sports management worldwide.com folks. And uh, 44 days away till Nashville, we're talking quarterbacks and Russ, I couldn't help to notice that you said, Hey, yeah, we have this consensus for quarterbacks in this year's class. Not necessarily your consensus though, Let's talk about some of these tier two quarterbacks. And I'm curious to know who is in your top four. Well, you know, I mean, Murray is the top guy to me. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think after him, there's two or three guys that are very similar in grade. Um, I really like Will Greer, the kid out of West Virginia. And it's funny, the first three or four games when I graded him, I was a little lukewarm. But the second four games, I was like, wow, okay, this guy's a lot better than I thought. And of all the quarterbacks this year, he's the most accurate of all the guys I've graded over a six, seven-game period. And it really isn't close. Everybody is either average or below average. Of all the quarterbacks I've graded, he's the only one 
that is significantly above average. Um, and I put a lot of stock in accuracy. I think if you look at the history of the NFL, accuracy and quick release in terms of physical tools are two that are dr- dramatically underrated in terms of the ability to succeed in the NFL. You need both of them. Um, another quarterback that I think is right there, you have Haskins, like I mentioned. He's sort of a, a guy that I wouldn't take in the first, but I think he's got tons of ability. A guy that I don't think you'd even have to consider in the first or second, but I have right there with Haskins, is the little kid from uh, Penn State, Trace McSorley. Um, doesn't look the part. He looks like sort of the, the high school quarterback that showed up at a, at a major college. He looks like sort of a short guy. Not a big strapping kid, but when you watch the film, he's a pretty productive player, and he does a lot of things well. Um, he reminds me sort of of a little bit of Baker Mayfield, a little bit of Ryan Nassib, who came out of Syracuse about five years ago. Um, Nick Sorley's not a superstar by any stretch, but if I were sitting in that third, fourth round area again, he'd be a guy that I'd love to get and try to develop. But to me, it really is Murray, and then every single other quarterback has a major question mark or two. And that's, a, and that's even overlooking the fact that even Murray has question marks because, like we talked about, he is 5'10", played in an offense that required a lot of sort of one-read sort of stuff. And in terms of short accuracy, it is an issue. So every quarterback this year, even Murray, who is a first-round player, has some real concerns in terms of ability to succeed in the NFL. All right, very interesting. Trace McSorley, who, you know, you remember last year, Lamar Jackson being asked to work out with the wide receivers at the Combine. He politely declined. Trace McSorley being asked to work out with the defensive backs this year in Indianapolis, and he also declined. And you heard Russ just say he is potentially one of the top signal callers in this year's draft class. Now, Will Greer, I really want to like him, Russ, and You know, again, it goes back to our conversation at the top of the show, not to put too much emphasis and and stock into, you know, the the senior bowl and the combine and things of that nature. But I couldn't help to notice, I mean, Will Greer at the senior bowl was arguably the worst performer there, and I just felt bad for him. And again, you know, shake it off to a bad week, no problem. Then he comes to the combine. And it just carried over. I mean, he was throwing balls in the dirt. And I agree, he's very accurate on film. And then you get to these postseason events and the accuracy. I don't know what happened. I don't know what it was. Um, again, And I will say that's one of those things as a, as, a, as a team, you've got to be A, concerned about because you want a guy who every step is able to improve. Like the first day of senior bowl, okay, is he inaccurate? But by the third or fourth day, is he at least better? He doesn't have to be good, but is he at least improving? Because at least it gives you hope that, okay, if we get this kid and we give him a year or two to learn our system, get to know the receivers, are we going to see the accuracy we saw in college? Or are we going to always be stuck with what we saw sort of at the senior bowl and the combine, the guy that really struggles to put the ball in the right spot? And that's one of the dilemmas you have as a team is, and, I, and I've seen it over and over is you get the, the scouts or the directors or the position coaches go to the senior bowl and a guy's brutal in terms of accuracy. And those people can never get that out of their head, no matter how much mm-hmm. film they watch and how much they like in terms of accuracy. And it can be the other way. Guys can look tremendous in mobile or at the combine in terms of accuracy, but the film is so bad 
that, but it's in their head that they're accurate. The film is so bad, they discount that. And it's, it's always a hard thing. You really want them to line up. And that's why Greer is a little bit concerning because in college, like you saw and I saw, he was accurate. Senior Bowl wasn't. Combine wasn't. And it just raises a bit of a red flag to say, you know what, there might be something to this. And maybe instead of letting his accuracy be labeled as really good, maybe we have to lower it down to a good in terms of numerical grade so that we're not overgrading something we saw in college that we think could be a concern. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing you said there, you know, a lot of times what happens, you know, some coaches have more influence in the war room than than other teams. You know, the Cincinnati Bengals for a long time have, <laughs> you know, cut cut corners on the scouting staff and have leaned on a lot of their coaches during the evaluation process. But I think that that holds true. You know, these coaches, they get involved in the process in January, you've got your scouts on the road working diligently all year long. All of a sudden, the coaches coming in, into the evaluation process in January, they hop on board with the all-star games and the combine, and it, it's kind of like the last impression uh, that that's in their head, right? And so now the coaches that do have a say, you know, they, they got that Will Greer performance fresh in their head. And like you said, it's hard to, to shake that image out and, and – um, you know, sometimes, you know, when the coaches get involved, some of these things uh, factor in, in in different variables. So uh, very good stuff here. Russ Landy. And Rick you know Sarantella. what I'll throw hey, in there, Rick? Go ahead. Is, yes, um, you got it. One of, one of my buddies who, who was a GM in the past and isn't now but is hoping to be again, he's always said that if you have good coaches who watch the film, he said it can be unbelievably beneficial because they bring a different perspective than, co- than scouts do. So if they're all watching the film, you can really have great meetings and discuss it. But he said one of the problems he always ran into is getting the coaches to watch the film before they go to Mobile. Because he said once mm. they get that first impression in their head, whether it's good or bad, it's so hard to change. And he said you'd rather that first impression be based on three or four games of film so at least they don't go to Mobile and see a guy like whether it's Ryan Nassib, who He didn't make it in the NFL, but he lasted five years. His film was fantastic, but his senior bowl is one of the worst in the last 10 years. So if you send a coach down there who had never looked at the film, he may come out of Mobile saying, I don't even want to look at the film. And that's one of the ultimate debates, and I know a lot of GMs have always said we'd love our coaches to look at film of, say, their top 10 position guys before they get into the all-star games and the combine and the pro days. So at least they have that first impression based on film and nothing else. Interesting stuff. Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here talking quarterbacks, 2019 NFL draft. Um, before we wrap it up, Russ, let's talk a, a, a little bit about uh, overrated, underrated um, quarterbacks in this year's draft class. And, hey, it could be somebody we already mentioned. It could be a new quarterback we haven't discussed yet. But uh, every year there's always the uh, media hype. Uh, the 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 so-called media scouts, <laughs> but um, who is a quarterback that you believe is being overhyped or overrated? You know, I mean, to me, Daniel Jones is the guy that jumps out. I mean, I love you want to love him because the intangibles are there, the arm is there, the athleticism. But just the more film I watch, he unlike Greer, whose grade went up with each game as I charted him and started him out. Jones just kept going down. And every game he would make three plays that would pull me out of my seat and get me so excited. But the rest of his film was so inconsistent, 
it made me want to pull my hair out. And he's a guy to me that if unless I had a tremendous quarterback coach and, and an offensive coordinator and head coach who were committed to the long-term development and we're not going to rush this kid in the lineup, we're going to give him two years to be the backup and we're going to let him do all the fundamental drills to improve his small things that we think he needs to work on, I wouldn't even waste my time because I think without that, he's not, he has no chance of becoming a starter. And that, he, he, he terrifies me. And someone's going to take him in the first round, and I'd be stunned if he succeeds. Yeah, you know, it's hard to disagree with you, Ross. And I, I think the scary thing is, again, the, the lack of quality quarterbacks around the league means not only is he going to go in the first round, he's probably going to be pressed into action sooner than he is yep. uh, ready for it. And you, you, you already know how that goes. When a, when a quarterback's not prepared and not ready and he gets thrown into the wolves, um, it could be damaging. Um, especially, you know, he seems like a very mentally strong kid, but, you know, you, you, you get behind a, a poor offensive line like Carr with the Texans a, a decade back or so. Um, it could really, really ruin a quarterback. And because – he might be forced into action sooner rather than later. I think that uh, does not bode well for his future in the NFL. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, Russ, everybody loves a developmental quarterback, an under-the-radar guy. Um, you, know, they're, they're, you know, I always subscribe to the Bill Walsh philosophy. Hey, you can never have uh, enough quarterbacks, right? Because having good quarterbacks is having good equity. And you see Bill Belichick, he pawns off guys like a Jacoby Brissett, a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Matt Castle. He just accumulates these draft picks with developing quarterbacks. Who's an under-the-radar quarterback, an underrated prospect uh, that you like in this draft class? You know, the guy that to me is really a late-round consideration but at every game I graded of him, Clayton Thorson, the kid from Northwestern, at least once a game he showed for one series that he could be a starter in the NFL. Now, there are a lot of things he doesn't do well and he doesn't do consistently, but every single game there would be one series where I'd say, wow, he did everything right that series. His footwork was great. He showed poison in the pocket. He slid. He moved. He made accurate throws. If I were a team on the third day of the draft that had a guy like a Phillip Rivers or a Tom Brady, and I want to take a shot on a kid, you know, force him to me in that fourth, fifth round. You throw a dart. He's a real smart kid. He played his entire senior year in first year off his uh, torn ACL. So he's still working back to being full speed. Really tough kid. Unbelievable intangibles in terms of character, leadership, smarts, all of those things. He's not a kid that's going to cause a problem. If you make him even go to your practice squad for a year, he's going, to, he's going to be a yes sir, no sir, do everything you ask type guy. So he's a guy I think has a chance to develop. And remember, after the first round, I think it's 90% of quarterbacks selected never start more than like 10 games in their career. So I'm not saying this kid's going to be a starter. But if I have to throw a dart on a kid on day three of the draft, I think this kid's got a chance to develop into a starter because there are a lot of positive intangibles and the physical tools are there that if you can work on the mechanics, work on consistency, there's something to this kid that's got a chance to be a starter in the NFL. Physical tools, also great size. I mean, he's about six foot five. Yep. He looks like a linebacker back there in the pocket. He really and does. Of course, uh, and, and we all know Pat Fitzgerald, you're getting some uh, very good coaching there. We saw Trevor Simeon, uh, a seventh-round pick a few years ago, come in and, 
and and step in and do a you know admirable job at, at, and holding down the fort with the Broncos there that one season. Um, so there you have it. You know, the one guy I think on day three I might roll the dice with is this Tyree Jackson kid from Buffalo. I, I'd probably, you know, have him sit on the bench for three seasons, though. I, I think he's just a raw prospect. However, he does have that rare arm strength that you can't teach. And again, uh, kind of like a Daniel Jones, he'll make one great play and then follow it up with three or four throws that you're just scratching your head. And you even saw Steve Smith, the former wideout on the NFL Network coverage, go up to him during the combine and say, dude, what are you doing? They're trying to make money out here. You're throwing lasers on five-yard uh, gauntlet drills. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with the Mr. Tyree Jackson. But I do like his upside. And, hey, he might even be bumped up to the, to the day two range uh, after his combine. But, um you know, Russ, it's been wonderful. And I'm glad here. you mentioned him because yes. I have not looked at his film. Um, he's one of the few guys I'm still waiting to get all the film sent to me. Um, I did get some of it last week, but I haven't looked yet. But, yeah, his, his senior bowl, he showed a lot of traits, the combine, the arm strength, the size. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about this kid. I can't wait to break down the film on him. I'm hoping this next week to finish him up. Um, and really get the film watched and be able to offer some insight into him. But he's the one guy of those big-name quarterbacks in terms of senior bowl, combine guys I really haven't looked at closely. I'm glad you mentioned him because he's a guy that I'm very intrigued to take a close look at next week. Yeah, I'm a little biased. I was, I was you know, at the Rutgers game and at the Temple game where he beat both teams. And, you know, there's a few throws in those two games. I mean, 70, 80 yards downfield on a rope, flick of the wrist, uh, just incredible. I mean, you can't teach that kind of stuff. So, you know, he definitely stood out to me. Um, we've got a, a minute or two to play around with here, Russ. Uh, I, I just want to pick your brain. It's been incredible just to hear you talk and your two decades of scouting experience working for the various pro leagues. Um, obviously, you've been in war rooms. You, you've been in, uh, you know, in that situation maybe not necessarily a mistake that you've made or a lesson along the way. I mean, what's a piece of advice uh, when evaluating quarterbacks that you've picked up over the years that you can impart upon our listening audience? You know, I mean, not everybody in the NFL subscribes to it, but two things I've been taught by a number of people over the years. And one is that more mistakes get made evaluating quarterbacks by putting too much emphasis on arm strength. When you look at the NFL history, some of the greatest quarterbacks, whether it's Joe Montana or Tom Brady, these were guys, I mean, obviously Tom has a stronger arm than Montana, but neither one of them came into the NFL with rave reviews about arm strength. Most teams had them as just good enough or a little bit above average. None of them said elite. And you don't need elite in the NFL. You need to be able to be good enough to make all the throws like an Andy Dalton or a Tom Brady when he came into the league. And you try to improve upon it, but the accuracy is what's way more important than arm strength. There are a lot of people in the NFL who believe accuracy cannot be taught. And because of that, there are certain teams and certain coaches that will not even consider quarterbacks whose completion percentage and accuracy, depending on how their team organizes it, is below a certain number. Um, being able to throw accurately is a must in the NFL, and way too many teams draft guys thinking they can improve accuracy. Everything I've ever been taught is you cannot improve accuracy in the NFL. It just isn't going to happen. Not dramatically enough to make a guy that's a poor 
guy in terms of accuracy, a good quarterback in terms of accuracy. And that is why, to me, I will go on record and say that Lamar Jackson's stint as a starting quarterback in the NFL will be short because his accuracy in college is worse than every quarterback I've looked at in this entire draft. So I don't see hmm. any way he becomes a long-term starter in the NFL, even though he will start this season as Baltimore's starter. Very interesting stuff. He is Russ Landy. You can follow him at Russ Landy, L-A-N-D-E. And, of course, we're brought to you today by the Sports Management uh, Worldwide folks. And, hey, Russ, you teach a, a football GM and scouting course over at the uh, sportsmanagementworldwide.com there. Give us a little brief pers- perspective on that. You know, really, I've been doing this now for just about 12 years for them. Um, it's a short eight-week course. Um, you're not going to take this course and all of a sudden get hired into the NFL as a scout. But what it's going to do is it's going to give you the basic parameters of what it takes to succeed in the NFL, how to scout appropriately. And I'm really going to teach you the, the, the really the, the way to go about getting a job in football. It's not about getting a job in the NFL, but I'm going to teach you how to separate yourself from the thousands of other people that eventually want to be an NFL GM so that you can get a foot in the door somewhere and hopefully, hopefully, nothing's guaranteed in this world, hopefully someday be able to work in an NFL front office. It's been an amazing experience over these 12 years. I have people that have taken the class that are working in the NFL, that are working in the CFL. Hey, and that's what it's all about, my friend. Not to cut you off there, Russ. We're tight on time. We got to wrap it up. Got to go, got to go. But that's what it's all about. NFL, CFL, XFL, Alliance League. It's a great time to work in the football industry. Go check him out. Sports Management Worldwide. GM Scouting Course. He is Russell Landy. Give him a follow on Twitter at Russ Landy. Of course, NFLDraftScout.com. You can go and download the 2019 NFL Draft Bible right now. And we'll be back next week, everybody. The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com.